Hey guys, I've got two special guests. No Dave today. I thought about doing a cold opening where we ripped on Dave, um, but I think we've done that before, so I figure we'll just go into it. Uh, Will, as our first guest, Will, welcome. Hello, Will, how's how do you it going? say your last name, Will? Uh, I say it's pretty controversial. Okay. I say Zabel, and all my immediate family say Zabel, but everyone who reads it says Zebel, and I think yeah. that's sort of the more natural way to pronounce it. And Jack Zebul, who plays for North Melbourne, same definitely spelling? exact same spelling, pronounces it Zebul. So where's it from? It's German. Okay. So what would German say? That's Zebul. Oh, uh, they would definitely table. say like Zebul or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I say Zabel. All right. And my family do. Okay, Will Zabel. <coughs> yeah. Uh, and Tom Delmont. Hey guys, how's it going? Very good. Your Thanks na- for having last, us. Your last name's a little bit easier to say. Pretty straightforward. Where's Delmont from? Uh, just old school English, Adelaide. A re- Many generations, yeah. but um, but I think they dropped an E off early back in the day. Was it like too fancy? Del, with might the have been a Del Monte. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit fancy for Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's take that off. So, um, Will, you're a writer for Froth, Crafty Froth Pint. Froth and Crafty Pint, yep. Uh, and beer, oh, a historian. But yes. You, yes. You spe- you'd like to do beer history? That's my main sort of focus. My, uh, my degree's in history, so yeah, cool. that's what I'm okay at. Um, and Tom is from Fixation. Yes, uh, what, what's your position at Fixation? What do you call yourself? Uh, managing partner is the official title, but also wow. I'm employee number one and the only employee okay. in <laughs> Fixation. So I guess, uh, yeah, I'm the boss of myself. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, Give yourself a, a review every six yeah, months. That's right. <laughs> High fives. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's for people that don't know, uh, Stone and Woods kind of, your, your partner in that? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so um, business partners with the Stone and Wood guys yep. and um, yeah, launched it together uh, about... Nine, uh, sorry, 10, 11 months ago. Cool. Yeah. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to run through some news and then we'll uh, chat to, to you guys about your, your various things. Uh, we're sitting in the park as well. It's such a good day. Carlton Gardens. Carlton Gardens. It's beautiful. Sun's out. It's, we can see the, what is that, the exhibition building? Royal Exhibition Building. You got any history on that for us, Will? Uh, no, yeah, 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 I do, I do. Um, I don't know when it was built, but I do know that... It was ready by 1888 because that's when they had the international convention there, which was like the celebration of 100 years of white Australian settlement. And it was also the first place in Australia where the Australian flag was flown. And it's where Parliament sat. Uh, And that's because it's where Parliament sat for the first decade or so while they were building Canberra. Yeah, cool. Wow. Federal Parliament, that is. Victorian Parliament's always been where it is now. It's a perfect day for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Jeebus. Yeah. Uh, we're drinking, you bought a, along a beer to Garage, Will. Yes, to drink, yes. Um, from Garage Project. It's quite nice. It's what pretty it's good, like isn't it? It's kind of what I was expecting. I maybe thought there'd be a bit more cherry going on, but... Yeah, you say 16 bucks. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Mm. Really nice. All right, um, we've got some nice plastic cups as well. I had, like, stemmed plastic cups... But I threw them all out when I spring cleaned, and then I was like, "Well, if you use them, and I was like, oh. <laughs> now you need them." Uh, I just want to run through some things quickly. Um, I've put up articles recently about pale ales, all about pale ales in Australia. Um, there's a it's on Beer and Brewer, so check that out. Uh, also, something about Moku. Have you guys checked out Moku? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that. That's the line, Nathan. Yeah. Modern uh, curations galleries. Yeah. So it's an online ordering. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a horrible website. Have you used it? Yeah. Yeah, I saw you basically said that it was a good idea that could have been delivered Yeah, better. The thing that bothers me is that it seems to be exclusive, so it's the only place you can buy some of those little creatures yep. 
beers and I'd kind of like to be able to buy, like the very hoppy ale I really enjoyed, I'd like to be able to buy that mm. just in a shop yeah. sort of without having to buy sort of well any other beers. They make you buy yeah. two. And yeah, the price yeah. It's quite expensive. Yeah. Um, Does that include postage? No, right. unless you spend 50 bucks. Right. Okay. So Which you could quickly do because everything is, and if you're buying slabs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it, it includes Emerson's and um, Panhead. Wow. Uh, and I really like both Emerson's and Panhead beers. Emerson's yeah. especially. I, I fucking love their beers. I think they're kind of underappreciated and we don't get them here. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. I think the name is horrible. Modern Thank Curations. You. I did Mo read Q. your article, and after that, I didn't click on their website or have a look at it after that. <laughs> but um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to try and drive sales through yeah. that. But um, Emerson's, I was, yeah, heartbroken when we haven't seen it in Australia for about five years now. Yeah. Um, instead of champagne at my wedding, everyone got an Emerson's Pilsner. On yeah, right. Level, so um, I really do love <laughs> Emerson's. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it'll be good. So that means they're storing the beer in Australia, does it? I, they must be. Yeah, they must be warehousing it. In a couple of different places, in okay. terms of, oh, it makes sense to anyway. They'd have warehouses in Victoria, right, New South Wales, to get it out quick. Yeah, enough. yeah. I, I'd imagine they would. Okay. I saw someone order one, you know, last week, and it arrived like within a couple of days. So right, it seemed to be a pretty pretty decent turnaround. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a good idea. I can see why you'd do it. It makes sense. You know, yeah. as you said, you want to get that limited release, and yeah, yeah. I, it's just, um, I wonder if people will it'll further annoy people with those brands because they sort of can't get them easier, uh, any easier than sort of the standard local craft bottle yeah. yeah, I wonder if it, if, you know, is their way of, I guess, circumventing dealing with all the different independent bottle shops a bit and yeah. saying, well, we'll just put it through MoQ. Yeah, and it's a way of p- getting people to buy, you know, because you, you, you go and buy a, one of the limited releases, you're like, oh, fuck it, I'm here, I might as well buy... One of those, one of those, one of those, and, and make you know get that fifty dollars shipping. So, right. yeah, it makes sense, but mm. it's not a very easy website to use. Right. Um. All right. Next on news. Uh. Oh, Wolf of the Willows. Um. Had their second birthday. Yeah. Congrats um, to the guys. Yeah. It was a, a some good beers there. Um. I wrote a little bit about that in the Mornington. Can release? Have you guys tried the new Mornington session? Up no, there? no, no, I did. I missed the launch, but it looks pretty. It's a pretty good can, isn't it? it? Looks yeah, good. yeah, yeah, delicious as well. I, Is I was, it? Yeah. yeah, really enjoyed it. Nice. Um, I think they'll. A few of them will end up in my in my fridge. And speaking of launches, fuck, there's a lot of new breweries launching lately. Like these are just the kind of Victorian beer, you know, a couple of Victorian things. But um, I went to note down all this sort of new stuff, but there's too much. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is um, astounding, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's been a lot on Crafty Pint, so so go read Crafty Pint. <laughs> He's got it all covered. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, not not even though we we've talked about doing like getting a list together that is just everything. And um, James asked, you know, all the contributors to contribute, and he was still like, I still think we're almost missing some. Like yeah. even as huge as this list is, it's so hard to tell what's going on. Yeah, and just to keep on top of it. There's random breweries popping up. Like there's one in Docklands area. West there's one in South Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. maybe it's the Opening same one in the next week. The West Side. Yeah, Ale that works. one. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just found out there. Uh, kids at our school as well, and um, yeah, looked them up. They got a little Brownmeister kit, and yeah, right. Yep, got a warehouse in Alfred Street, South Melbourne. So yeah, that's crazy. Throw. Yeah. Um, and there's a cu- there's one I found on Facebook the other day that was about to open, and now I can't remember their name, and I can't find find them again. They've mm. disappeared. So. Yeah, uh, I'm amazed. There's four breweries now in Ballarat. 
yeah. you know, things like that just really yeah, kicking off in regional Vic as well. Go wander in your suburb, you'll probably find a brewery. <laughs> that, that's, that's my tip for the news. Um, but a couple of interesting ones, Club Brewing and, and Wisdom Brewing, which are kind of um, subscription-y kind of surfaces where Club Brewing are brewing collaborations with a whole bunch of people. So they've done a Yeasty Boys one, a Mountain Goat one, and a Stone one. Mitch Steele from Stone. Yeah, Mitch Steele. Oh, sorry, not from Stone. Mitch Steele from X-Stone. Yeah. Um, It's a huge get for a brewery starting out. Um, And they are basically, you sign up to the service and you get the beers delivered to you um, from those those collabs. So you can't get them anywhere else but signing up. Wow. Um, And same with Wisdom Brewing. It's uh, You kind of sign up for a beer and everyone decides what, it goes to a popular vote, what beer it's going to be, and then you all get, you know, part of the beer and I think share of the sales it's kind of like a share wow. people are trying different ways of getting beer out there um, yeah. and getting noticed I guess as well yeah, yeah. definitely you've got to got to almost differentiate yourself somehow yeah um, so yeah these people are finding ways to do it so you check out yeah club club and wisdom wow spawn have you guys heard of spawn no is, the, that, um, is that a brewery I'm <laughs> learning a lot today <laughs> it's Chester King's uh, new sort of attempt at making a traditional Belgian lambic uh, or Gers, okay. sorry. Um, so they've had a blend of three, two, and one-year-old beers, and they've they're trying to sort of coin a new name that's not Lambic, because uh, Lambic is obviously obviously tied to Belgium. Uh, they could probably call theirs Lambic because they're brewing it exactly like Lambic, so technically it is. But they've decided to call it Spawn uh, and make this kind of new new. What 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 Spawn? Oh, like? oh, oh, where does Spawn, Spawn? Not Spawn. That's, what, that's the name of the beer. Spontaneous. Ah, uh, okay. But yep. it's um yep. the actual the actual method they're calling is Method Gers. So okay. like Method Champagne kind of a yeah. thing. So they're trying to make that the kind of standard for non-Belgian Gers um, rather than calling it Lambic. Yeah. Uh, they've got the blessing of Jean Van Roy from Cantillon, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Whereabouts are they exactly? Chester King? Yeah. They're in Texas. So just out of Austin. They've got like a nice big farm and everything. Uh, apparently it's an amazing spot to go for a beer. Uh, their beers are all pretty fun. So um, it's like a, a you know proper farm. Yeah. Their labels can, uh, contain almost more information than you could possibly <laughs> get on. Yeah. Like <laughs> contains water from the local well and at the kind of altitude at which things were harvested from. It's pretty cool as well. Nice. Yeah. Lots of Belgian stuff from memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of um, farmhouse kind of stuff. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, no, uh, mostly beers uh, that I've had have uh, all been really good. Some yeah. of them have been amazing. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. We used to we get bits and pieces of them, but not heaps. No. Hmm. Um, friend, our good friend Hendo has opened up a bar, Brew Cult Bar. Uh, the Gypsy Brewers kind of, I don't know, how's he, what's he calling cellar it? Cellar door? Yeah, well, I yeah. don't know if he's calling it that, but it's kind of like a cellar door yeah, almost, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, um, great idea. Yeah. Um, in Brunswick? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, Brunswick, yeah. Have you guys been? No. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. It's only I'll been open for yeah, like yeah, two yeah. weeks. I, don't, I yeah. didn't get an invite. Did anyone here get an invite? Yeah. 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 What are you doing, Hendo? Yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it was everyone was invited, maybe. Yeah. yeah. yeah we'll go, we we'll, only we'll, go we'll to exclusive we'll events, don't we'll we? Get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there very soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's cool. I think a lot of people are probably watching how he does with eager eyes. Like, I think it's an interesting So, I guess people that don't know it's... So, Brew Cult is a contract brewer or gypsy brewer. So it's kind of a way to get their beers all in one place. So yeah. it's a bar, but he has guest taps as well and, and pizzas. So essentially it's a pub, really. Yeah. Um, it just features heavily Brewcult branding. And yeah. And they brew, like he normally brews out in Dandenong, which is probably one of the harder places to get people to go have a beer. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so doing the, the sort of brewery bar concept 
would have would have probably never flown for them. So yeah, yeah, and he so could still good. take trade out to Danny Nong yeah. occasionally to, you know, show them where he's making the beer, and then he doesn't have to invest in kit in yeah. a little set up in the city. So it makes sense. I know that he um, was trying to work out what he's going to do with Brewcult for a while there, um, just if he was happy with the, the brand or, or you know where it was going. And so I think now that he's got a, a sort of a home, probably might you know keep keep him going and keep him more enthused. So. Well, he's um, making great beers. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, we've had him on the show a couple of times. I'll, I'll put links to, to Hendo's chats if you haven't heard them anyway. Um, craft Beer Weeks for Sydney Craft Beer Week. WA Craft Beer Week. Is, WA, is it WA Beer Week? Oh, now, yeah. yeah. Beer Week, yeah. Um, and Beer Day out in Canberra. Tom's got some exciting news yeah, from Tom, tell us about Fresh WA. from WA Beer Week. Well, I just thought I was getting a generally encouraging text message from my friend James Smith saying, I think uh, fixation... Uh, Blackman's and Ben Spoke are going to go well, and uh, I thought, oh, thanks, mate. Do you mean in the next five years or ten years? But um, but he um, meant for the blind tasting last night, which was held at the Dutch Trading Co. And Fixation um, topped the list, which we're absolutely thrilled about. And um, some fantastic beers in the mix. I saw Deschutes and Ben Spoke and Big Shed, great guys. Um, so yeah, and uh, the you know WA we've only just started sending some beer over there so i don't know much about it and i'm not obviously there for it but um but it seems like it's really you know it was the birthplace of a lot of this uh this movement so we um yeah gotta make sure we get over there a bit more yeah. and check it out <laughs> well it's good good if you're just getting over there in terms of your, your beers to get that kind of recognition straight away yeah hopefully yeah big leg up and yeah thanks to steve over there he's helping us uh rep it for us and, awesome. and is that uh, through judge. square keg is that um yeah so he's sort of yeah doing yeah square keg but also some stone and wood stuff yeah, yeah cool yeah um did you go up for sydney beer week no nah, no nah, we we only just um got a permanent person up there as well okay. and sort of missed the boat with regos so yeah. just thought yeah we'll fly under the radar a little bit at the moment and get organized for the next one yeah yeah, I didn't see much um, coming out of Sydney Craft Beer Week, but um, the guys from Sessionable did a podcast where they, they recapped their experiences, so I'll put a link to that if you want uh, people on the ground that know what was happening there. <laughs> um, beer Day Out, do you guys know? I don't know much about Beer Day Out in Canberra. No. No, everyone's checking I, I see, is it Capitals building a site? or? Yeah, yeah, they're currently building a brewery. I did a story on them when they first sort of launched... I think I scooped we you on that did, story. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> you got in a week before me. That yeah. shows sort of James's turnover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're your own editor. You can, you can beat Crafty Pint. <laughs> <with them all. laughs> but yeah, they're they're really exciting. I think I had their beers, their beers and they were good. really good. And their head their brewers from straight out San Diego. They sort of scooped in from Green seen, Flash yeah, and Green Coronado. Flash, yeah. um, so he knows a thing or two about sort of hoppy beers. Yeah, and uh, he was saying they want to be known for that. Yeah, to making delicious. West Coast style hoppy beers, so um, yeah, and packed as ACTs, isn't yep. it? and then we've got Ben Spoke, Ben Spoke just so launching the cans. Yeah, I haven't seen the cans around yet, but uh, they got. I think they get second in the taste uh, blind tasting. Or? Yes, I think so. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, and I saw they had. Their yeah, they also have an excellent pun in one of their names, which is Barley Griffin, which is a reference to Walter Burley Griffin, who designed most of Canberra. Right, one one of my favourite. Not Australian architects, but he was an architect who had a lot of influence on Australia. Excellent. He did some work out in Heidelberg as well, which is cool. And it's one of their most popular beers as well. Oh, uh, yeah, beer. good, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I've had What's it, the style of beer? Australian ale, but pretty yep. still pretty easy drinking, but really good. Like, mm. you know, Richard's a fantastic brewer. Yeah, Richard Watkins is, for those that don't know, he was Wigan Pen Brewer, and anyone that went to Wigan Pen would know how good those beers were. 
it's amazing. Um, apparently started as um, just in the kitchen as like dishy at 18 at the Wigan Pen and, you know, then was head brewer for 10 years and then, you know, Ben spoke and now production brewery. It's, yeah, great story. Yeah, and that's a massive brewery they're about to open up, the, the new one. So, yeah, um, I'll put a link up. I think Crafty had a good article about that or, or Bruce News or someone, so I'll put a link to that. Um, yeah, keep an eye on Canberra. Uh, I think it's all the news I have. The other thing I have is cans, 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 new beers, fuck. So <laughs> t- I got overwhelmed. I was like, fuck this. Like taco, um, two bits of tacos being canned. Yeah, how, how are they doing that? Do you know? Are they, they must getting... be mobile canning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, two bits of taco. Uh, I think most people would know what that is. Um, I chatted to Jane a while ago and she said they weren't going to pursue canning unless it was mobile. So I'm guessing it's mobile. Um, and last Irene cans came out uh, not too long ago. Which uh, are pretty good. So yeah, I was away from Melbourne the weekend they came out, and now you can't seem to get them. I like think we, we got yeah. some last week. Uh, yeah, so okay. Yeah, they're pretty good. Keep, keep an eye out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if if you like canned beer, fuck, it's the right time to be into it. Uh, Modus Operandi I've just put out a new one as well, which by all accounts is really good. Nice. The new IPA. So Sonic Prayer. Yeah, yeah. Have you had it? Uh, well, back yeah on tap. I haven't yeah. tried it out of the latest cans, but yeah, great beer. Yeah. Yep. Their beers are all really good, so it's uh, yeah, I might have to get myself some of that. Alrighty, well, I don't have any more news, so uh, we'll come back and have a chat to Tom once we top up our beers. Good idea. Sounds good. So, Tom, fixation. Yeah, thanks for having us. What is it? Uh, well, I guess it's... Uh, it's Australia's only dedicated IPA brewing operation. Um, so you're never going to brew anything else that's not an IPA. We'll never say never, I guess. Yeah, never say never. But um, but we, uh, you know, we've coming up to a year in, and we've we thought a lot of guys have one IPA and a mix of four or five core beers, and that was also one of the challenges in my previous role, and and I've seen it with a lot of other guys um, where it's not the highest volume product so therefore it doesn't get all the attention so often then when a customer does go to order it you're talking you know much an older uh, beer um so we thought um and the guys had you know been bubbling away with the ideas for a while um to just focus on this style and and really open up with kegs only to start with and um first six months we just talked about kegs of ipa and had one one tank um, in the original uh, Byron Brewery, um, and uh, and then as soon as we'd empty and rack those kegs, we would brew the next day and, and fill it up again, and um, and then six months in, started bottling in the old original little Byron uh, site, and uh, and the first day was the full day. Uh, like a 12 or 14 hour day and we got 170 cases out of Amy. Amy Winehouse is the name of the, the bowling oh, yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> Very temperamental machine. Yeah. She was no, named obviously prior to her, the artist's demise yeah. uh, unfortunately <laughs> but um, but yeah it's still operating and um, and yeah and just gradually you know um, and just sensibly stepped up volumes but not trying to overcommit or produce too much beer we really want people to get in great condition so that was the, the plan and we've stuck to it and really just talked about the one main beer to start with how did it come about you go because you were at mountain goat um and you left once the sort of sale happened yeah um, yeah and so then you ended up how did you end up 
with with Stone and Wood guys. It's an interesting story. Uh, I was I was talking to a few guys. I mean, it's probably no secret that being independent was pretty important to me with craft beer. I, I do see it as a fairly fundamental thing with um, consumers wanting to you know know a bit about the company and you know and I think it's important so therefore a lot of the marketing materials and a lot of our spiel had been to do with independence at Mountain Goat and you know and to have that change fundamentally um, overnight meant you know find another home um, so you know there was some ideas on the table to um, you know do a little brew pub or um, work with some other guys and I was sort of you know trying to sneak around have all these serious chats and um, work out which direction I was going in while still selling you know lots of steam ale and um, and then uh, and Ross Drizic uh, up at Stone and Wood said oh hey Tommy don't make a decision until you have a chat to us and I said oh well I'm having these chats right now mate so we better have a chat and um, and they said oh we're you know we've We've brewed a beer. We're not sure what to do with it, and um, this is, you know, what we're thinking. And and they'd already done, you know, a bit of artwork and design. And um, was it Damien Kelly? You know, yeah, yeah Damien cool. Kelly. Yeah, I think you've had yeah a chat previous, to him. Yeah. previous guest. Yep. And um, and so they'd already sort of knocked up some some work, and and uh, the there was a beer called Teaser IPA, and I think the guys had it in the the tank after on chill for a couple of months, just sort of going, when are we going to rack these kegs? And just didn't get around to it for a while. Um, and that beer um, was was sitting there, and then uh, we got it out. And, I, and once I said, "Yep, I'm on board," um, we got it out as teaser IPA, and um, and yeah, it was a seven point about seven percent IPA. Um, pretty pretty similar. Um, so the recipe had already had some groundwork done, and, um, and we've tweaked since then um, several times. But I think it's um, yeah, it was a really good solid. Um, you know, crack at it, and then um, then we've just sort of yeah changed procedures and processes and dropped the alcohol. One of the things I was a bit worried about was launching with a seven percent beer as our only beer, and as a you know a volume guy myself, and a lot of people I think in Australia like to have a few imperial pints of beer. Um, you know, when it's a seven in front of that beer, and it's as drinkable as you can make a great big hoppy. West Coast IPA, such as, you know, Green Flash, one of my favourites, or those guys, um, you know, you can fall off your chair if you have two pints of that, so, um, so yeah, we... Well, you might, I'm yeah, I can handle my liquor. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be okay, <laughs> I'll probably be okay for a bit longer than that, but I think, uh, yeah, selling around the, yeah, 6.4 mark was, yeah, pretty sensible move, um, but, yeah, that's sort of... So what's your uh, what's your role within fixation? Are you kind of uh, sales frontman? Are you there on brew days, or how does it work? Yeah, so essentially, um, I've got to be across everything in the business, um, but also help drive sales first and foremost. Make sure we're building a you know a bit of a permanent tap presence out there. Um, production, I um, have to be right across production, and if if I can, we'll hold we'll hold beer an extra a week. Um, where we can or you know and just say right yep we, we're right okay rack some kegs this week guys please and then um, also pack numbers so how much we divert to pack keg um, based on forecast so I work pretty closely with Square Keg as well who are sales and distribution partner and so that's the, kind of the Stone and Woods uh, yeah. they created that company to do their distro and, and work with other yeah, businesses yeah for any non-Stone and Wood brands and um, and uh, out outside brands as well as you know, s- several brands that are connected to the business. Um, and 
and it's it's a great way to work really closely with a distributor, um, and they you know rely on us and we rely on them for you know lots of info. So I'm in the car with uh, the Squarecare guys as well, and um, and uh, yeah, and for the first few months I definitely cracked open most of the bags of grain and was up there getting in the way of whoever was based at Byron Bay normally but um but yeah weighing out hops salts just helping out and generally getting my head around this kind of um yeah this kind of style and making this style of beer I don't profess to be a brewer but um but you know I've hung around in breweries now for 10 years so sort of you know have uh yeah spent a lot of time uh in in breweries so have you learned about brewing since doing this then? More, yeah. more about brewing, I guess. Yeah, quite a bit more about brewing. Um, formulating, you know, recipe development. Um, and there's one thing with this beer is there's no shortcuts on ingredients. So all of the um, the malts are premium Brees base malt, um, Brewer's Pale Malt, which is an American base malt, a little bit of German specialty malts from Vyman, and then um, all American-grown um T90 hop, so um, Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Amarillo. So, yeah, definitely. What's T90? I've never heard that before. So that's the um, the hop pellets, and it's how much vegetative material is in the hop pellets. So it's T45 and T90, so less or more. I know you've heard that before. No, no, that's yeah. yeah. It's called T90s, I guess. Uh, I'm going to drop that into conversation yeah, next yeah. time I'm hanging out with a brewer. Like, yeah. Th- T90s. Yeah. I'd say, <laughs> oh, well, did you use T90s? Yeah, I yeah. think I think the vast majority yeah. are that anyway. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but you can get some with less uh, less plant many material. wedding photos. Yeah, we're having place yeah. around us. We're having a, I think um, we're going to be in the background. I like the idea that someone's we are treasured the <laughs> treasured <laughs> memories. There's a, a hair artist working on some hair right next to us on a bride, so they could definitely improve my hairdo. While they're <laughs> yeah, we should get our hair done. Like <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful day for it. Um, but yeah, so that's uh. Yeah, that's definitely taught me a lot. And also then making a beer back at Goat was, was a great experience. Um, and I worked, Dave Edney did pretty much the malt side of things and I really knew what I wanted with the hops, which was a Amarillo Simcoe dry hop, um, really from talking to guys like Green Flash and Ballast Point yeah. when we went there um, back in 2010 or something. So just, um, you know, you get a fair idea of what sort of level of bitterness, what type of bitterness and, and then what kind of you know dry hop regime you want which is normally pretty big. Freshness is a big emphasis for you guys. Um, were you co- kind of concerned about getting that out there and, you know, making sure it was fresh and, and all that kind of a thing? Yeah, absolutely. The freshness for us is paramount. And it for us, it was unheard of in, you know, in the business to put three months best before on, on pack um, and 45 days on kegs. Um, and so we had to be really careful not to send too much beer or or you know try and take over the world and make a lot of beer um from day one we just wanted to make sure that anyone that got some got it in great nick and um and there were some challenges and some hiccups and we definitely butted heads with logistics um over logistics at square keg um but you know as we have seen uh, volumes pick up in the three main markets which are brizzy sydney melbourne for us um then we were able to manage it and it takes a bit of time to get your head around that i guess but um but yeah we're certainly not planning on sending beer all over the world just make sure that australians get a great you know ipa reliably good fresh ipa when they have a fixation donor would have got a lot of experience in that field right because pacific ale was you know 
completely in demand and, and selling out ridiculously. So if there's someone you want to team up with, it's probably those guys. Yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was absolutely uh, stoked to yeah be tapped on the shoulder and given this great opportunity to work with those guys. And you're right. I mean, having uh, Pacific Ale out there uh, with 45, that's a 45-day keg uh, beer as well. Um, that beer, like, when it's fresh, and I, I've had some in Melbourne that, I don't know if it was, you know, beer lines or it just was a little bit older. It was, it was still good, but, you know, it wasn't as good as I had it. And then tasting it at the brewery in Byron Bay, it was like it's worlds apart when it's Fresh, it's I think, so good. I think even more so than say on a six and a half percent IPA, it's there's nothing to hide behind on that beer, and we do it's just all galaxy, isn't it? Yeah. And as soon as that falls away a bit, it's a, just a different beer. Yeah, yeah, and we do sensory training, which is um, you know, with the the guys up in Murbar and and to taste beer at different stages um, of ageing, you really start to see how it changes pretty, you know, over three months, six months, nine months. But, um, but yeah, absolutely. It's a, a great experience in just-in-time logistics, you know. The, uh, every week, fresh beer into market, and that's where we've got, you know, obviously started with one tank every three weeks, but now we can get to that every week um, level, then we know that, you know, kegs really should be on tap and gone within a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Um, yeah, trying to stick to that and lead lead the way, I guess, a bit with that in Australia. And I think it's a reason why when you have a great IPA in California and you get off the plane, you go, wow, you know. But then you try one of those bottles here and it can be a little bit lacklustre sometimes. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to try and tackle that for, for our side of the world. IPA is kind of, it's been controversial in Australia. Sorry, I just waved to fly away with the microphone. That's probably not going to work. Very Aussie. Yeah. Um, where people I don't know, seem to be a little bit reluctant to, to brew them in the market, you know, thinking the market might not be quite be there or they thought the market had moved past them. Um, where, like, were you concerned about that when you came into it? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I wasn't sure that a beer that I love and a style that I love could, um, you know, could sustain a business um, and whether we could... Uh, you know, sell enough beer to make a go of it and not have issues with, yeah, stock sitting there, people just saying, mate, it's too strong. Um, I know, you know, back in the day, Little Creatures Pale was a, you know, crazy beer to sell and Hightail was just like, no way, you yeah. know, dark and hoppy, <laughs> yeah, four and a half percent. Um, but, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a concern and, yeah, the fallback plan might have been just, I don't know, doing something else. Golden Ale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, probably just doing something else in a different industry, I guess. So it's working out then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I've still got a job. Yeah, no, we, um, yeah, it's, it's so far, it's, yeah, we're um, ahead of sort of where we'd hope to be. Um, and, uh, and yeah, kicking some goals at the moment. So just trying to, yeah, just keep focusing on quality, working with you know great guys and venues, making sure they understand the beer and ho- and just telling bottle shops guys, there's three months on this. You don't need to buy a pallet. You can buy three cases, and then we'll talk to you in a week, and you know we'll make sure you get fresh beer every time. You know, you you've got some pretty regular taps around, like uh, Up and Smoke near me. You have a pretty good relationship with them. Um, the Gertrude always. Yeah, Gertrude's a good one, yeah. And Sitting right near that one. It seems to be, yeah, like, you, you sort of become that constant IPA on tap. You know, if someone's going to have an IPA on tap that's kind of always there, fixation's kind of one of the one of the ones in the conversation. Um, 
like and was that kind of the the target of getting that you know those local like pubs that always have good beers but that one IPA tap yeah, well, firstly, uh, thank you. That's great to see it in a couple of great pubs like that. And I love those guys. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely was a thought by all of us that we wanted to be a reliable go-to IPA for pubs that might always be uh, changing around that style of beer. I might have three IPAs on, but they're always changing around. And, um, and I guess become that um, reliably great, IPA that people go to um, it helped that I dealt with some really good pubs for eight years beforehand so um, you know guys that probably I wouldn't have been able to walk in a week before Christmas last year uh, with beer and I wasn't even able to give them a sample when we had the discussion uh, initially I wasn't even able to tell them the name of the beer um, but I could tell Got them the, the style I could tell <laughs> the guys the style of beer we hadn't launched yet we hadn't done you know the press release or anything but I could tell them the style of beer what we were going for and you know that trust that was built up over eight years the guy said anyone else no but we'll give it a go, you know. It must be good to hear as well. <laughs> yeah. It's your job to do that, right? <laughs> very, very good. Yeah, I was, otherwise I would have been sitting at my house with a lot of beer. We did launch in my backyard with a keg on a magic box. Uh, uh, very quiet, uh, quiet Monday afternoon. But it's pretty hard to get pubs down before Christmas. But, yeah, it was a tough time to launch. But, uh, yeah, it was you know, heartening to see some guys going, yep, we'll give an IPA a go where they wouldn't have normally had one on. You know, places like the Old Bar. Um, for instance, and I was at the old bar meeting some friends, and it was a fucking lifesaver. Like, <laughs> seeing a band, and they they sell it by the jug as well, which yeah, is yeah. pretty pretty handy too. <laughs> I love dark, dingy Melbourne pubs. That's you know that's my thing. I guess another thing that with that good you, beer, you're, you're you're passionate about is music. Um, I've I've seen you at I think against me. I think I saw you last time they played out here, um, and, and various other gigs over the years. Uh, not stalking you, but like, oh, it's Tom Delmont. <laughs> um, but you're like, you're getting into venues like the old bar where it's kind of, you know, live music is a, a big focus. Yeah, I guess I just love still going out to see bands, even though I'm a dad with three kids and, you know, getting older. I like to be, you know, I probably don't stay as late as I used to, but, um, but and, and you know, and, and yeah, friends at the corner and places like that where, um, yeah, and there's just so much great music coming out of Australia at the moment. I think um, there's lots of great tours to go and see. So um, I think, yeah, if we can help out in any way with the independent music scene, then we'll do that. It, it wasn't really a, a thought out thing. But I just, if I can align with bands that I like, and and those guys like our beer as well, then fantastic. Um, and you know, and if and the same time, if they go, nah, we just want Melbourne bitter or whatever, then that's cool as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, we just. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of weird that, um, you know, good craft beer and and good music. It's a similar concept. You know, it's about uh, independence, making something that you love. You know, making it kind of for a small fan base. But the price versus, you know, for, for craft beer versus small music is, you know, $5 to see a band versus double the price for a craft beer kind of a thing. So it's kind of, I guess it must be a tough sell because... Yeah, the, there's definitely the $10 jug crowd in those bars as well. And, you know, when you're straight out or at uni, the $10 jugs are probably pretty attractive. But um, I think um, you're right. And, and I spoke about this with um, Dreiser, Dion from Shark Island, when they were here at the old bar recently, Shark Island Brewing, um, about how, you know, punk rock and craft beer, there's definitely some similarities there and our values and what we um, want to 
do in life. And um, and he said, bloody oath there is, you know. And, and then he got up and played his Australian, you know, bush folk punk rock after, you know, launching his beer, which yeah. is great. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a shame that the tax man doesn't help that situation. Yeah, I think I was telling someone the other day, my brother's just arrived back from Chicago for three weeks and to uh, bring his new baby boy home. And... Uh, and uh, he just can't believe how expensive a 500 mil double IPA is in Australia. Um, and he must have forgotten uh, just how expensive beer is over here. So, Is that um, something that you guys would you know, look to doing a, a session IPA or, or something like that? Because you said you're all IPA brewery. Um, you know, would you ever think to do a beer targeting that space? Um, we haven't thought about going lower in ABV at all. Um, you've, you've gone higher for one-off keg releases? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, the first year we managed to stay focused on our core beer, which we're all enjoying one of now, the Fixation it's IPA. really good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, we uh, had to go and buy a few four-packs because we've run out in the warehouse for a couple of weeks. But, um, but yeah, it's... Um, it was just about keeping the in such a crowded market. As we talked about in the news section, there's so many breweries launching and new beers coming out and new formats and things. We thought if we have the first year, we just talk about our one main skew, one main beer, and um, and we got on the pilot brewery three times, and each time the recipe changed slightly for the double IPA um, called the Fix, and the Fix um, on the pilot plant, you know. We got a silver for that one, which was fantastic in the IOBAs. But it was really about, um, yeah, just getting on the pilot brew, do just a couple of batches of double IPA where we get about eight kegs out and um, and look after the guys that, you know, might have had an event for Good Beer Week or we've worked with for a while and, and always love to grab a, an extra special sort of different beer. Um, but, um, but, yeah, that was always the plan to just stay focused and, and I guess – you know, build our name with IPA first, and um, yeah, and then down the track, who knows? I mean, definitely in 2017, there'll be some new beers, and we would love to do more of the double IPA and a bit larger brew of that. Um, and yeah, there'll there'll be other variations coming. Um, but any you know, any sneak peeks, or they haven't been decided yet? I. We're still working on it, so to be a bit early to sort of say exactly, you know, which direction we're going in, but keep an eye out in 2017. There'll be some variants coming from, from fixation, so it'll be, yeah, pretty exciting. And, and also, we really want to, you know, try and look to have a home for Fixation Brewing Co. So that's um, part of what, I guess, you know, similar to what, you know, some guys have done. We're setting up a bar or a, um, a venue, but um, but have a little brewing space. Um, so would that be aiming in Melbourne? We're thinking Melbourne at this stage, yeah, um, because uh, it's where most of our beers sold. It's where I'm based um, with a young family, and um, and it's uh, it makes sense to us. Um, yeah, we we never expected um, fixation to be you know based around you know northern rivers in particular. Um, but the great thing is we do have you know some production capacity there where we can make some some beer to sell far and wide um, if we you know if we needed to make a bit of, bit of beer whereas we can have a little home you know somewhere that people can come and see and you know have some different beers that might not be anywhere else just in the venue yeah awesome is that do we just get a scoop then on the podcast if you told that's, people that's that a, that's an ale of a time scoop. <laughs> 
This is what happened when Dave stays home, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's always yeah been in the the back of back of our minds to do that. It's just um yeah, you know, going through yeah got to get through the you know early days and yeah get some kegs out there. Excellent. Well, you said you had some questions. Uh, I was just wondering um, more broadly and sort of on that, like you're obviously doing well in Melbourne. How do you sort of view IPA consume? Like how much is the Australian market into IPAs at the moment? Because I know it's huge among beer nerds and sort of the pointy end of the market. But in terms of kegs you're selling and you've obviously got Pacific Ale to compare to, which, you know, you never want to compare a bit of Pacific Ale because you're always going to look tiny, aren't you? But, like, like, where, where, how do you sort of view the Australian market as being... Are, are, are the Australian market more into it than you thought they were? Um, or I is this what you always sort of hoped? I, I hoped that there would be a good, you know, number of IPA drinkers in Australia. And I knew there's enough people buying IPA, different IPAs regularly, that, um, that there are quite a few fans of the style out there. Um, but on the downside, there's a million IPAs on the shelves from all over the world now, and um, and some of them have, and some of the punters as well have had bad experiences with the style. So, an interesting interesting one just this week was uh, there was a great list of twelve IPAs you'll be drinking this summer, and we were stoked. We're you know one of those twelve, and one of the comments on the the article was worst style of beer ever. That was the only <laughs> comment I think. <laughs> and so I had to get on. But there only angry people comment. So yeah, yeah. I had to get yeah. on there and say it's the best style of beer. Um, <laughs> you're wrong, but um, but you, can, you can't have a bad experience with one. Like, you know, you get a you get a old one that's. Maybe seen and even the bitterness of some can can probably just turn people off more generally if yeah. they're not not used to that. Yeah, well, I think um, in answer to the question, uh, I think it's still early days for us, um, and as to whether or not it can you know can become a powerhouse sort of style in Australia, I certainly hope so. I mean, people say oh, the climate's different, the weather, the you know we're we're used to drinking liters and liters of lager or whatever, um, but. You know, so Calif- America, California, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. is uh, the home of, you know, become the home of hoppy beers and um, and uh, their temperatures are pretty warm. So uh, hoping that we can... Um, yeah, and 50 years ago, everyone was drinking lagers there as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think balance is definitely a key, drinkability, but, um, but definitely you can ramp these up. And, you know, I've had some amazing beers at 8 9%, really drinkable. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it has definitely, yeah, scared a few people off over the years, IPA, but, yeah, we'll see. If you had anyone, like, just give the equivalent of the worst beer ever comment in real life about, you know, like when you take it into a bar and say, we've got this beer. and um, No, I, I, maybe I haven't been into those bars anymore. I did go, back in the uh, Mountain Goat days, I did walk into a pub and um, it must have been a really bad day for this guy. And he said, mate, just get the F out of my pub. And I How said, far into your spiel were you? I was just saying, hey man, just keen to drop in some samples of uh, some mountain goat beers. And very friendly, and it was just the wrong day. He said, get the fuck out of my pub. And I said, whoa, okay, catch you later. And um, funnily enough, about a year or two later, he uh, wanted our beer on tap at his pub. So, yeah, right. And we ended up doing business together. Oh, after. you should you should have cut him loose. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> just said, do you remember? When? Just invite him into the brewery and say... 
yeah, you come down for a look and it'll be uh, you know great to have you in. And then he walks in and say, get the <laughs> fuck out of the room. <laughs> but I haven't had anyone say this is the worst beer ever. I've had a few old friends that don't are not beer people say, um, oh, that beer, that style of beer is too bitter for me, which is exactly what Will was just talking about. Um, but I just think they haven't. It's like saying, you know, you haven't had the right beer. It's like saying you don't like beer. You just haven't had the right beer yet. Well, maybe you haven't had the right IPA for you yet. And if you keep trying them, but, um, you know, yeah, we'll just keep working on it, plugging away. How does the sales rep conversation work? What do you, if you're cold, if you're going into a bar cold, what do you do? Um, it's been a while since I've had to do that, but, um, generally I walk in and say, Hey, I'm, um, Tom from Fixation Brewing Co. Um, we, we focus on IPAs. Have you heard of that style of beer? And most people have now, even if they don't really understand what it is. And then I'll say, can I just leave a, I normally want to leave some samples, um, are you the person that makes the beer decisions here? Um, and if they are, if they're not, who's that? Would you be able to make sure they get one as well yeah. so you don't drink them all? Um, and here's an extra one for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just being a uh, you know, supportive you know, um, supplier um, or potential supplier and, and working with people long term. So, you know, for instance, we sponsored the Old Bar today. They've got the Spanish Fiesta on Johnson Street. So um, they had to pay for a tent out the front. And in return, the guys all said, we'll wear fixation shirts. And that's a real new market for us. No one would have tried an IPA that might be walking in during the day today and yesterday. Um, so just being a long-term supporter of, you know, when they, when they once um, the guys are on board, then, you know, helping out when you need to help out. We found out a staff member was unfortunately diagnosed with a, an illness this week, and so, of course, Karma Keg, for sure, you know. like yeah, you Has like that gone on, or is that coming up? Uh, that'll be coming up, yeah, cool. coming up. What, yeah. Uh, do you know when? Um, it'll be at the Great Northern on a Sunday in the beer garden, and it'll be raising money for cervical cancer. Well, we, um, we'll put some details on the Facebook once the, the dates are oh, cool. locked in. Yeah, so that kind of thing, you know, just um, just being a part of, and, you know, it's not rocket science, it's just being part of your local community, and guys are doing it well all over. And um, and I think if you do that, then, you know, it helps to build a long-term business that helps everyone. I was chatting with someone yesterday who owns a bar, um, and they were saying, we're talking about, you know, how much easier it is for bar owners to, to deal with, you know, one company and just get all their beers from them. And, hey, you know, it, it makes sense for a lot of bar owners to just do that. But he said, you know, I like seeing the reps. It's good. I, you know, I get a good relationship with, with, you know, half a dozen people that come in and, and they tell me about the new beers and it's interesting and I get to, you know, like build a relationship with them and that's a good part of my job. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah, and I think if you've got a couple of, you know, you might have, say, you know, 60% of your taps are fairly consistent and there are a lot of guys that walk in and girls that walk into a pub and they have their beer or their, you know, they really want a pint of that beer. Um, but then for the other taps, that's where they'll be rotating around and if, you know, if they just say, hey, we're getting one delivery a week from this one company and don't come and see us for three years, um, you know, that's sort of a closed shop and it's a bit of an archaic way of running your bar or pub now. Um, and less and less over the last nine years, I've seen less and less people sign those kind of you know contracts and and they and do that kind of um, way of yeah running their their beer side of the business. Any more questions, Will? No, that's that's I had my one. All right, you get more than one. You're allowed. <laughs> no, that's enough. I want to <laughs> learn something from Will. Yeah, let's uh, take a pause. We'll refresh our beers, and then uh, Will can regale us with some history. Excellent. Sounds good. 
Welcome back, everyone. We've just refreshed with another fixation. Um, thanks for bringing the beers, by the way. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. Cheers. Luke is drinking out of a bottle, <laughs> uh, unlike Tom and I. Yeah, you guys went straight to the plastic yeah, cups. Yeah, we're pouring into our nice plastic yeah. cups. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy. Like adults. No drinking in the park for us. <laughs> what, is the, what are the laws in drinking in the, par- in the park around here? I don't think we're allowed to drink I in this park. I don't think so, no. no. I, I, you can't really drink anywhere. In People were looking at me when I walked in with an esky. Yeah. Right. Anyway. But I saw someone with a 10 back of Summersby go by, so yeah, if yeah. anyone's going to get... The attention, it's them. Do you know who we are? <laughs> it's, of course thir- you don't. it's 30 degrees in Melbourne. It's perfect Sunday afternoon. I think we're allowed to. This park, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that Portlandia skit where the, the tiny ray of sunlight comes out during wintertime and everyone's like chasing it round and then they like it stops and they put on some reggae and everyone's like barbecuing. This is kind of what it feels like now <laughs> in Melbourne. <laughs> Making the most of it. Yeah. yeah. So, Will. Yes. How did you, uh, you're writer for Froth, writer for Crafty Pine. Yes. How did you get to do both of those things? Um, well, they pretty much sort of came off the back of one another. Ba- basically, uh, James, or well, the Crafty Pint, as I knew knew it then, I didn't have a person to associate it with, just put out the ad for more writers about a year ago, and I applied, and um, I, I kind of said that, I kind of wrote a few articles and said, oh, I'm thinking about starting a blog. Here's what I'm doing. I'd love to write for you. And that went from there. Um, That was, yeah, about a year ago. I didn't have my first article published until about March. So those things moved slowly. But then after that, I met Emily Day from Froth at a beer festival and sort of bailed her up and said, yeah, I've got a degree in history and I'm really into history. So I'd love to write beer history for Froth. And yeah, basically that's it. But my background is in history, yeah. I guess. Why do you like so history? What's the appeal there? Um, I don't know. I've, j- I've just always... It's, it's just interesting. Like, like, at the end of the day, it's something that you would think is simple and kind of is... is it, on one level, it's just stories about things that have happened, but on the same level, it gets... The more and more you know about it, and, and similar to beer, the more and more you know about it, the more complicated it, it actually gets. Mm. Like, you, you kind of have this assumption that history is just sort of dates but it's not it's more about our perceptions and our sort of arguments about what's happened mm. um to, to give an example i was trying to think of a beer example on the way here but i couldn't come up with one but i came up with a world war ii example and i think most people know about that so if you get asked in like tom delmont used to host trivia and if you get asked in a trivia question when did world war ii start the, the most common answer answer is 1939 which is perfectly right and is is true. But um, if you go to Prague, uh, the war memori- all the war memorials there say 1938 to 1945. So when, when I was there, it got me thinking like, why, why the hell have they got the date wrong? The war memorial, and it's because part of that country was given away to the German military, or to, the, to, to Germany during 1938. So they actually perceived the war as being a year older than everyone else. Yeah, right. And if we lived in the Soviet, U- the former Soviet Union, they didn't consider the war. Th- they never even called it World War Two. They called it the Great Patriotic War, and it started in 1942 for them because that was when Germany invaded their country, and they didn't care about Poland or any of those other countries that the war was being fought. Is this so insular that it's not World War Two? Yeah, II. It's yeah. Just like when it happened to us, it, it yeah, matters. yeah. And that that's a date we should we should have a pretty good lock on. Like when did World War Two start? You shouldn't be able to have an argument about that, but you actually can. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think I've always found it interesting how diverse. Isn't that almost why people still argue about IPAs? Because no one really knows when they started. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm of the school of thought that thinks it's like very much not an English. You know, you know that classic English story of the English. I, I'm I'm very anti that, and I more see it as a modern American invention. Yeah. Um. Basically, because that's what Martin Cornell thinks, and he's <laughs> he, he's the smartest man alive. So if he thinks that, then I, I just, he's he's a great beer blogger. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Zy- was his yeah, his yeah, yeah. Which um, he spends he seems to spend more time in brewery archives than anyone else alive. Yeah, and as a result, he writes great history. Have you? research you know australian brewing and going into libraries and archives and to get into the nuts and bolts of that um no no i've never i i mostly for australian stuff i mostly rely on newspaper articles coupled with one thing that i find really handy is sort of conservation like heritage listings and those sort of things are normally the most accurate um but yeah yeah i yeah, you know, I'm I'm yet to sort of feel the need to have any. If anything was ever confusing enough to me, I would definitely sort of wander into one. I spent, uh, I did my honors uh, a the- honors thesis last year about sort of Melbourne history, so I spent you know like most of last year's locked in the State Library of Victoria. <laughs> so uh, I'm not adverse to you don't, it. You uh, don't want to do go back. Uh, to I don't want to do it straight away, but I'm okay with with having to do it. You sent uh, me a Snapchat earlier of Melbourne's oldest building. Was that, no, Melbourne's no, tallest yeah. building, sorry. Yeah, Melbourne, Melbourne's tourist building from 19... No, 1876 to 1888 or thereabouts. That's such a random Snapchat to get. That's <laughs> not what you normally get on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the old Yorkshire brewery, which um, I'm do, researching an article from Froth, uh, for Froth magazine, because Stomping Grounds opened up, obviously, and they're like, well, we're the first brewery in... Collingwood for a hundred years, so I thought I'll go and try and find out a bit about the breweries that used to be there, and one of them was the Yorkshire, which is really close to Stomping Ground. Like I think if you stood on if you stood on the roof of Stomping Ground, you'll be able to see it. But it's an old brew tower, which were most breweries that were built in sort of the eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties used brew towers because it was all it was when steam power was very popular, but kind of just before electricity, and it was using gra- gravity and hydraulics to more efficiently brew hmm. but um yeah that's that's a really interesting building with its own sort of story uh stomping ground right when they say they're the first brewery in collingwood for 100 years uh it's as far as i can tell well they even sort of um mitigated a bit by saying the first proper i saw on their website like the first proper brewery they, or something they put in a weasel word in there. yeah yeah weasel words are very handy when you're writing history because you can say well that was in about the the 1890s or thereabouts and and that protects you from looking dumb, mm. which is what the, they've gone down. But uh, but as far as I can tell, they're the first new brewery to start anyway. The Yorkshire Brewing Brewery was probably making beer until about the 1920s. Okay. But then it became a cooperage, and then it was a malt house. Hmm. So, yeah, it was it was bought out by CUB, or the forerunners to CUB in about 18, the 1890s. Is there a pub, the Yorkshire Stingo's yeah, Hotel? Yeah, there, there is a Yorkshire Hotel. It's and still going, I think, I, I don't know if it's the same one. I think it's because uh, I was looking at the plans and trying to work it out, but I think it's not in the right spot to have been the original Yorkshire because the original Yorkshire pub was right next to the Yorkshire brewery. And it started as a pub and then the public then started it. B- but I would think that it's sort of named in its honour or something. Hmm. Yeah. But that's 1850s. Like there's 
there's not many buildings in Melbourne left from before the gold rush. That's which was 1860s. Oh, at late 1850s. Did my most sort of rudimentary understanding of Melbourne beer is CUB basically bought everything and shut it down <laughs> over the yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that, that that that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I don't they they didn't buy them with the the goal to shut things down. I don't think it's just brewing became more efficient, um, and they were able to do it in the one location, and it stopped making sense for them to brew in a number of locations. Um, but they sort of amal- some of them amalgamated because there was the Carlton Brewery, the Yorkshire was one of them. There was Victoria the, Brewery, yeah, the Victorian Brewery, which the some remnants still yeah, are on Victoria, Victoria Parade, yeah, Victoria Parade, yeah. So, and then the brands that I guess that were strong, that were, you know, making sense, they kept and the ones yeah. that weren't. E- even if they yeah. changed the beer, because obviously, like VB was originally a bitter and then became a lager pretty quickly, mm. but but they wanted to keep the name because that was the one that had the most brand loyalty at the time and was probably the best beer of the time as well. Mm. It's pretty quickly, as in how how quick of a turnaround? Well, you know? uh, I w- I wish I had the numbers in front of me because they're real they're really interesting, but. From 1880, in, in just Collingwood in particular, and Collingwood, Abbotsford, and Carlton, from 1880 to 1890, it just hit the wall flat. Like the the, the amount of breweries just sort of halved or something. And part of that, there was there was a massive economic recession in Victoria during the 18, middle of the 1890s when the the price of land collapsed. Mm. Um, it was also when the Australian Labor Party formed in, in response to that, which is interesting in itself. But and CUB with their labour issues. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so part of it was that kind of just it, there was a huge economic recession and and all these independent breweries never recovered after that. But also they sort of um, they amalgamated or they bought the other ones out because the processes became more efficient and the one that the, the Foster's brothers coming over was pretty important as well because they brought ref- new refrigeration technology and they were able to produce pale lagers. I don't know anything about the Foster's brothers so that's obviously Foster's. Yeah, yeah, video. yeah, yeah. So they they were two Americans and I think I, so I'll Foster's have to check American this. beer technically. If yeah, yeah. Well, they 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 brought refrigeration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they brought refrigeration techniques over from America, and I think they'd learnt it off Germans that were over in America at that time, um, with the lagering and the pale lagers and stuff. And they brought it, and they were the first people to sort of um, f- use proper refrigeration. Was there um, a suburb that had the most breweries in Melbourne? Uh, yeah, well, Collingwood, Collingwood had more breweries than anywhere else in Australia in the early 1880s. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because, like, 1850, barely anyone lived in Collingwood. Oh, it was it was would have been like paddocks almost. Then the gold rush happened, and you had all of industry moving into that suburb because it was near the Yarra, so they could pump their toxic toxic waste into it. So you had all the breweries, you had all the like sort of tanneries and like you know, sh- uh, clothing preparation and all that stuff, they all moved in there. And then it was obviously pretty much a slum for uh, the first half of the 20th century, and now it's now it's the way it is. And that one brewery, the Yorkshire Brewery, sort of got to be there to watch all of it. Mm. It's sort of, it's, it's outlasted all that, all that change. And only just as well, because it was almost destroyed in the 90s, which was, you know, before we used to care as much about, Heritage and those those sort of things. And now it's apartments. 
now, now it's surrounded by apartments and there's a really cool cafe down the bottom. So I, I think heritage protection is very bad at defending old buildings, but trendy cafes is a very is a very good way to pretend to protect them. Like they're, they're, if you, if you got a popular cafe, you're safe. Industrial chic. Yeah, yeah, fine. yeah. 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 Um, now, before you came on, I, I asked you to, to think of some fun historical beer anecdotes. Yeah, did yeah. you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I got. Um, I got a couple. So, what if I give you, what if I give you my favourite beer story? No, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yes. um, <laughs> and then my favourite Australian history story that I reckon a lot of people don't know about. Oh, uh, this is yeah, exactly. So, what I, want. The, I reckon the most interesting beer. Oh well, here's here's a small anecdote. In there were a bunch of sailors once that got lost on the way to coming to Melbourne in about the 1850s. Their, their ship got lost and they ran out of food and the only thing they had on board was Guinness. And they managed to survive the entire journey from about South Africa to Melbourne just on Guinness alone. That's terrible planning uh, for a start. I, I, I think there was a reason they didn't have any food on board. Like it was at the back half of a ship and... Waves came, yeah, and yeah. I, I think I think they planned to eat more than just Guinness, but they managed to survive just off Guinness. I wonder what the Guinness back at that point was probably pretty sour and pretty uh, oaky, it was probably right? pretty Britannomyces yeah, yeah. filled. I, I would think, yeah, especially after sitting at sea for a yeah. fair while. Yeah, well, for a while, navy the navy officers used to have beer as a as daily ration, and during the Napoleonic War. They changed that to rum, and then rum sort of. Uh, well, Australia was pretty much built on rum. Do you know about the rum? No, rebellion? not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I'm sorry, I've heard the name Rum Rebellion. Wasn't there a, a punk band that the name was the one of their albums? I've heard, I've heard Rum Rebe- Rebellion. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so this was in about the first 20 years of Sydney being settled, and this isn't beer, but it does relate a bit to it's beer because it yeah, it's booze. It's close enough. And the, the governor at the time tried to encourage more brewers to brew because they wanted to get people off rum because it was such a pervasive sort of thing in society. But basically the Australia, the Navy that was the only form of well, police force in Australia for a long time, they had they had a monopoly over importing rum into the country. A number of governors after Arthur Phillip tried to not stop them from doing that and they all fell to the mercy of a guy called John MacArthur who was just this really cunning and very smart venture capitalist who who sort of bought mo- most of Australia and controlled everything through through this rum and so currency was useless they just they just traded in booze but eventually William Bly was brought down who was famously known as the bounty bastard because earlier in his career there was a mutiny against him on his ship and he got stranded on an island and he eventually made it back to England and after that they were like, oh, well, he seems so good at his job, we'll send him to Australia to, you know, clean up this mess. And he tried to put an end to the rum trading and the dealing and the sort of paying of running rum and he was... Uh, it was basically a military coup d'etat, Australia's only one where soldiers walked into his building and arrested him and... All over rum. Yeah, all over... Well, not all over rum, also over sort of land and sheep and about what kind of a country Australia would be. But it's most interesting if you talk about the rum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Sheep and land are pretty yeah, boring. Yeah. Well, it was when they brought the merino in, which is, you know, the famous uh, yeah. Australian sheep. They stole it from Spain and imported it into Australia. That it was a new sense. breed of sheep. Merino makes sense as a Spanish word. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. But John MacArthur, who was the sort of venture capitalist who led the charges against William Bly, was was a huge, huge wheeler and dealer in Merino. Interesting. What's your Australian anecdote? <coughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, that that was Australian yeah, in yeah. the end, wasn't it? But about rum. But uh, the Emu Wars a pretty good one. I've seen words, the words Emu Wars. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was a joke. No, like no. So the, in about happened. the 1830s, the Australian government declared war on emus. The bird, not like that's not like a euphemism yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> for some kind of army. So after World War One, there was a widespread, widespread sort of campaign by the Australian government. Well, they didn't know what to do with a lot of the soldiers, so they started what was called the Soldier Resettlement Scheme, which was where they basically gave them farmland. And we're like, well, go go be farmers, um, and that'll work out. And it didn't work out because most of them didn't know how to be farmers, and also the Australian government gave them really bad farming land. <laughs> and a lot of that was in sort of Western Australia, that area east of like sort of two hours east of Perth. So it was terrible for for growing stuff. But they were meant to be wheat farmers. And they weren't having a very good time of it. And then the Great Depression hit, so that wasn't very nice. And then the droughts of the period meant the area had a huge influx of emus. And the farmers weren't, didn't want to have any of it. So they went to the, to the Australian government and they didn't go to the, the Minister of Agriculture or the Minister of Farming or anything. They went to the Minister of Defence. And we're like, hey, remember us? We, we, we were soldiers during World War Two. While we were over, over, you know, fighting in the Dardanelles, we saw this great weapon called, which was basically the Lewis gun, which was early machine guns. And they're like, can we get some of those Gatling guns in? And the government was like, yes, <laughs> yeah, that sounds <laughs> fine, whatever. Um, because there were a lot of soldiers sort of, threatening the government at that time so i think they were kind of like happy to have the emu as a scapegoat so they just said all right all right um the one condition is that we need to have a military military people to control it so they appointed a like major general to we'll run give you machine guns but we just need like one person yeah 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 we just it. need we just need only soldiers can handle them yeah uh and not you guys either Long story short, they, they had about three battles with the emus and they lost all of them and the Australian government ended up losing. How did they the lose to them? Like the emus just... <laughs> well, <laughs> they claim it's because the emus are very smart, but they're, <laughs> but they're not. If you ask like an ornithologist, they're one of the dumbest birds out there. Like, like their brains are so tiny. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of it was to do with... The machine guns at the time couldn't really mo- could they, you could move them. You could. It's not like you're talking about a kind of stationary large gun. So, so, so they needed the emus to run at them in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, and that that didn't happen because they scattered. Anyone but, that's driven a car, but there was one. Y- running, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was one great moment where they, after the first battle failed because they all ran off, they found like a group of them at a watering hole and they they shot them up and the gun seized. And they're like, look, we might have killed 20. And you're talking there were probably like fifteen to 20,000 emus invading this area at the time. But, but we, we probably injured about, you know, like 50 of them. So <laughs> they, 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 might, they might die soon. 
But yeah, it ended with, um, again, I wish I had the quote in front of me, but I believe it was the major at the time said that if we could harness the power of the emu to fight in our wars, like if we if we could train them <laughs> with a weapon, they, 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 would be, they would be an unstoppable force. Right. Which no man could reckon with. Stick, stick you know, some sort of uh, gun on their hands. Yeah, yeah. 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 Lasers, basically. So that's a pretty obscure bit of Australian history, though. I, I love think that. A lot that of is people a great story. Know, yeah. Interesting bird. Uh, anything else you want to add about beer? Well, before we quickly wrap wrap up, because uh, those are two fucking stellar, stellar stories. No. So can no, I ask you a question? Yes. Yes. Like, why do you say the the IPA history? You disagree with the fact that IPA was potentially the biggest selling beer in eighteen seventy five. You disagree with that? No, I, I disagree with the the details to the point of sort of when it was invented and why it was invented. And I, I disagree with the idea that it was sort of, you know, you know, the classic story of, the well, if we add more hops to beer and we improve the alcohol, APIs in... IPAs in 1875 would have had a similar strength to sort of stouts and porters. Like it would have had very little to do with that that level of novelty or that or that. And level of course, of it's very different to what we drink nowadays. Yeah, well, they wouldn't have had the American hops for a start. And it's funny when you when you get an English IPA, I think a lot of people are kind of like, oh, that's not it's an IPA. Yeah, yeah, that's not an IPA, is it? Because it promotes that spiciness and those sorts of things, but. But you do agree that sort of, I guess, a different style of pale ale was the biggest selling style. Yeah, yeah, but but it would have been so. It would have been similar in name only to what to what we're drinking now. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it is kind of my thing. I I think it's better to look at like the IPA as a sort of a reaction or or a birthed out of the American craft beer pale movement against yeah. pale lagers, yeah, as yeah. opposed to. Export pale ale 150 years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. almost when you're, you know, you're standing in front of a crowd doing a tasting, for example, or you're, you're t- telling someone the story of the IPA, the English story is kind of separate to the the modern. Yeah, version yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's so far removed that yeah, you know, the fixation IPA is, is uh, that's almost irrelevant to to what's happened recently. I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. And I think that um, just sort of is a finishing point. You need. When when you're doing sort of beer history and any kind of history, you need to be very careful with words, and like when when you're dealing with another country and the words are trans, like mo- most people, do, a lot of people can't speak two languages, but you know to be a bit careful with translations. But the past is also another country, so you need to be careful with the way words were sort of used in the past without giving them their proper context. Like, the way we talk about ales is completely different to the way sort of 1600s British people spoke about ales because those ales would have had no hops whatsoever and it was beer, that B-I-E-R-E, that was brought over from the Europe that had hops. But we kind of define beer as either lagers or ales, whereas they defined it as either ale or beer, which is very different. Um, and, and you can potentially run into a lot of trouble, I think, if you're not, if you don't give words their proper context. Yeah. So we should mention mugwort and heather flower in every yeah, discussion. Yeah. Well, well, you don't know, and you don't have ale. to pick about like like I talk about saisons as being a French farmhouse ale, 
which for us is correct, but but technically, like historically, it is kind of wrong because ale is an old English word. It's not a. It's, it's got no basis in Europe. So at the history. time, ale wasn't really what we know of. A, yeah, a, yeah, but you don't. At the same time, if you're writing articles, no one wants to read constantly sort of malted liquor, like malted brown liquor. Yeah, yeah liquor beverage because th- that creates its own problems. Well, the the one and one of the interesting ones is lager. Where um, you know things like Kolsch, yeah, it's an ale yeast as we know an ale yeast, but it's still a lager beer because it's lagered in, under the German term of lager. So, you know, to Germans that's a lager beer, but to us it's an ale because we have yeah. this weird. So we've kind of adopted yeah. the lager term to just mean that. Yeah, bottom, yeah, bottom and I think that's more of a we're we're following a bit from, more from Americans. Then I think there's. Um, Certainly, beer writers in England who are a bit more nuanced with their use of ale yeast and lager yeast and those those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but it's like anything. The more you pick it apart, the less it sort of makes sense. Yeah. And if you're writing and trying to exp- sort of get points across to people, you do have to be careful without being so bogged down in detail that you lose sight of the grander picture yeah, yeah. and the, gra- the bigger ideas. Excellent. Thanks so much, Will. Uh, I I learned heaps. I Thanks, Will. Tom, you, you're thinking the same thing awesome. with the, the emu story was great. Yeah. And the rum. And the rum. Emus and rum. Um, I think we should go to the catfish and have a rum and a, <laughs> <laughs> a rum rebellion of our own. <laughs> um, let's let's take a quick break and then we'll just come back and wrap up and get everyone's social media details and yeah. Sounds good. Uh, I've just opened a Dre Fontana and Intense Red. Uh, it's, their, oh, it's, it's an Oud Creek, so it's a cherry. It's their cherry one. One of the cherry ones. Uh, from 2012. So it's four years old. Uh, how's it taste? It smells really good. Super, super interesting and cutting through. I mean, someone was saying to me on the way here, oh, I said, oh, the guys are going to be drinking Lambics in the park. So maybe... They should have that first, he was saying. And I'm like, oh, really? I thought you're still going to be able to get yeah. the Lambic after mm. the IPA. but you, um, you finish on the creek. It's yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, incredible. Um, yep. It tastes good out of my Complex. adventure time uh, cup that I'm drinking out of. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, we'll quickly get into some recommendations. Um, Will, let's kick yes. us off. Give us a non-beer recommendation. Okay. Um, so I have a book. Um, to recommend. Yeah, not your own book. <laughs> not, not one I've written. No. Um, uh, if you're into kind of unusual or sort of interesting stories of Australian history, then this is like a really good one to go for. It's Gert by David Hunt. Cool. And he's just released... It, Gert came out three, about three years ago and he's just released True Gert, which is the sequel to it but it's kind of very like humorously told interesting stories of Australia's you know first first settlers and very very funnily written and it actually came to me via beerisyourfriend.org oh, yeah. yep previous uh, guest uh previous guest of current, yours current beer current writer of the year AIBA beer writer of the year he wrote an article about buying true Bert re- true gert recently and i realized that i'd owned the first book for about three years and never never bothered to read it so after that i sort of picked it up and i read it in about a day which is pretty uncommon for me like i normally you know spend months Mm. on books i'm a pretty slow reader but it's really really funny awesome good recommendation 
Tom, what do you got for us? Oh, I was going to, yeah, sideways. I didn't have anything planned, but I was going to say, have you heard of a young guy called Neil Finn from Crowded House? I'm listening to a lot of Crowded House at the moment. Only because he's playing at Golden Plains coming up in March. So, yeah. Uh, any, anything that we should check out from Neil or Crowded House that you think um, we should then I think it was like 1987 release, Temple of Low Men. That All was right. a pretty good album. Yeah. Cool. I don't know much about Crowded House, and being a New Zealander, I should, but... I think when they were kind of in the 90s, I don't know if I really enjoyed any of the stuff they're putting out then, but then I heard early split ends and they sounded fucking awesome. So I was to my girlfriend, I really should probably check out some of the early stuff. So I'll, I'll write down that album and check it out. I think it'll help the moment on the hill at the Supernatural Amphitheatre. Yeah, yeah. Meredith is a, a good one. I've got my Meredith hat here somewhere. It's uh, perfect. Um, right, mine is um, inspired by Will's uh, attendance, uh, a book about World War Two. It's a fiction. Um, it's All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, I think his name is, D-O-E-R-R. Uh, and he, um, yeah, it's a, a fiction book about World War II um, and kind of, it won a Pulitzer. That's all I'm going to say. So it's really good. I, I don't want to kind of recap it. It's just a really good book. And wanting to be a writer, um, it kind of made me feel like I never want to write again. It's written so well. So, yeah, check that one out. Well, give us a beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this this is one that'll probably please Dave. I feel like I'm channeling him a bit right now. But I recently had again for the third or fourth time the Chop by Hop Nation. It's that you know, like kind of hazy Vermont-ish sort of IPA. Really different to anything else or a lot of other stuff I've had on the market at the moment. Tasting really good. Yeah. It's just, it's just a good beer. It's it's just, good beer. Yeah, it's, it's just really, really interesting, different, good beer. Have a stubby or on? Tape? Yeah, yeah. So I had a, a stubby. The other times I've had it on keg, um, at even at the brewery, I think, but it was still tasting fine in awesome. the stubby. Yeah, I've, I've only had it in cannibal form, which is brewery. a good way to yeah. consume as yeah. well. I want to get down there for a visit. I've it's a good spot. Past. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I can extend that to just go visit Hop Nation, yeah, then yeah, foot's yeah, great. yeah. 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 It's a good yeah. suburb. There's a lot on Whitehall Street now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Whitehall's homebrew shop, yeah. grape and grain and walk up. Yeah. Uh, beer recommendations yeah. from me. Um, you can't recommend fixation. No, no, of course not. <laughs> I, uh, I'll i probably just go with one I had last night, a can of Dainton's Blood Orange Blinavice. Awesome. Yeah. What was good about it? Ah, great aroma, great Blinavice, really well made, and a 500ml can. Well can't done, go wrong Dan. in summertime, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, Mine's going to be uh, Plum Glassware, P-L-U-M-M. Uh, I know everyone loves Spiegelau glassware, and I've recommended their glasses in the past, but these Plum uh, wine glasses, i got the Vintage Red B is the name of the glass. So good. Uh, I drink everything out of them now. Uh, I like them a lot more than the Spiegelau ones. They seem to be sturdier, but just as nice to drink out of. Really, really good glasses. They're a little bit more expensive. I got mine for free because I went to a wine festival that had them as the, the tastings, but... Yeah, if you're in the market for glassware, Plum, you can't go wrong. That's not an ad, by the way. It sounded like an ad. <laughs> plum, you can't go wrong. Sponsoring. Uh, I, I need glassware, so I Yeah, check them out, yeah. Uh, plum, if you're listening and you want to sponsor, just send me an email. Um, <laughs> well, if we want to get in touch with you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably not too easy. Um. Oh, hang on. Sorry, before we do that, uh, we've got a competition announcement. Um, we had a competition last episode for Aussie Brewery Tours. And we had one entrant, uh, Will, it was your brother, yeah. uh, and he wins the competition. That's pretty good. So, um, Marlon, Marlon's a bell. 
Yeah. Um, send me an email. If I wasn't here, you would have pronounced it Marlon. Marlon Zabel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, send me an email, Marlon, and um, Luke at Isle of a Time dot com, and uh, we'll hook you up with the free Aussie Brewery Tours tour. God damn, it's like one hundred sixty bucks with a prize. It's pretty good. All right, well, uh, yeah. So Instagram and Twitter, I'm both uh, Will underscore Zabel. Awesome. Snapchat. Well, uh, I'm not sure actually. Diet, diet. Yeah, yeah. D i r e underscore Zebes, which is a very obscure <laughs> reference. Uh, it used to be diabetes, but then I got locked out of my old Snapchat for some reason. So, so now it's diabetes. It's way more complicated <laughs> yeah. than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and you can check your stuff out on Crafty Pint and Froth. As well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty much in Froth every month. And cool. Froth magazine free around the country. Yep. And if you have any sort of hot his- history tips about the Australian beer scene, I'm always looking to sort of know more and write stories about them. You can email me at will at craftypint.com. Awesome. Or tweet memes at me involving obscure historical figures. <laughs> Get some history <laughs> And I'll, I'll tweet them back. <laughs> Tommy, tell us about fixation. Uh, we'll yeah, if you want to talk about beer, um, just fixationbrewing.com.au or... Um, Twitter and Instagrams at Fixation Brewing. Cool. And um, Tom at fixationbrewing.com.au will get me. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Um, you can find me at Luke at alavatime.com or uh, at alavatime everywhere. Uh, Dave, who's not here, uh, don't worry about him. Um, rate us on iTunes. That's how Marlon won a prize by rating us on iTunes. Uh, he gave us five stars. Thank you. Would he have not run it? Won it? We asked. We said give us like an honest rating. Give oh, okay. us like two stars if you want. And you'll still win a prize. You gave us five. So, fuck, I'm going to believe that's genuine. Anyway, guys, thanks so much. Uh, it's been a great, great episode recording in the park. Um, yeah, let's uh, finish this beer and cheers yeah. for coming along. Thank thanks you. for having us. <laughs>